0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Also at the Crowfoot Theaters in Northwest Calgary. We're in a series in which we're looking at what it is that Christians believe, and presently we're examining what the Bible teaches about prayer, and also how to pray effectively. Before we get into it, Why don't we pray? Would you stand with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the living word, Jesus Christ. For what he did for us on the cross, what we have because of his resurrection. We thank you for the written word, the guidelines we find in it, for living and for having an intimate relationship with you. I ask, Lord, that you would teach us how to pray, the importance of prayer, and how to pray effectively. Soften our hearts, focus our minds, and Lord, give us the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to before we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. You know, every once in a while, someone will tell me that they're giving up on God or they're giving up on prayer. Because they tried to pray about their problem or their situation in life and nothing happened. In some cases, people will say, you know, I've been praying for an issue for years and nothing's changed. And situations like this cause some people to wonder whether there is a God, whether he cares at all, or whether prayer really makes any difference. Well, as we've already talked about in this series, the Bible teaches that our prayers are not in vain, that they do make a real difference. Philip Yancey says, if I had to answer the question, why pray, in one sentence, he said it would be because Jesus did. As the God-man Jesus understood better than anyone, the vast difference between God and human beings. And yet, while on earth, As he was faced with many of the challenges that we face in life, in every case his response was prayer. He met regularly with his Father in prayer. His example communicated that prayer really matters. However, as we learned last time, the Bible also indicates that there are obstacles, there are barriers to prayer that actually can get in the way of God listening to our prayers. God does not listen to, he does not answer every prayer. If there is habitual sin in our lives, not sin, because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but if there is habitual sin, if there is sin that we cherish and stubbornly hold on to, refuse to deal with, confess, turn around and walk away from, Psalm 66 says the Lord will not listen to our request. If there is an idol, like a relationship, a business, a position, a possession that we put ahead of God, an idol that is the object of our highest affection, then Ezekiel 14 indicates that God will not hear our prayers. If we are deliberately not obeying God, not giving God our best, are stingy in our giving. If we're detached from the church and the mission of the church, of introducing others to Jesus and combating injustice and the plight of the poor, Proverbs twenty-one thirteen, Malachi 1, indicate that God will not hear our prayers. If we're mistreating our spouse, if we're not loving, respecting, and honoring, and caring for our spouse the way God calls us to, in First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, our prayers will be hindered. Now, I want to be very clear in pointing out that if your prayers are not being answered, it is not necessarily because one of these barriers to prayer that I just talked about are in your life it may have absolutely nothing to do with what you are or are not doing but remains unanswered for reasons that only God knows I've said it many times before but God is God and we're not and there is a great deal of mystery surrounding the issue of an unanswered prayer if you've given the Lord permission as did King David When he said, Lord, search my heart. Lord, show me if there's any way about me that's not pleasing to you. If you've given the Lord that kind of permission in your life. To examine your heart on a regular basis. For anything that would result in him not listening to your prayers. And you've owned up to them. You've confessed them to him. And God still seems to be silent with respect to your prayer requests then don't conclude that you're to blame for unanswered prayer. But put your trust in the sovereignty of God, that he does have your best interests at heart. And as Romans eight twenty-eight says, that in all things, he is working all things together for your ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. Trust him in that. And so sometimes there are barriers that result in God not even listening to our prayers. And this is something we can do something about. Now in this message, I want to talk about some other principles for effective prayer that we see in the scriptures. Principles that will make our prayers powerful and effective. And I want to acknowledge numerous authors who have enriched my understanding of prayer down through the years, including Dr. R.A. Torrey, Andrew Murray, Wesley Duell, Rick Warren, and many others. The first principle that we see is this. If we wish our prayers to be more powerful and effective, we must be in right relationship with God. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now to be righteous means that you're in right relationship with God. The scriptures teach that we are all unrighteous or sinners by nature, and that we are only made righteous by putting our faith in what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary and through his resurrection. The righteous person has had a change of heart, The righteous person has put aside her cold, hard cynicism and has humbly reached out to God and said, Lord, I need you. I need you to forgive me of my sins and to wash away the regrets of my past. The righteous person doesn't just believe in God, but he daily cultivates an authentic friendship with Jesus and obeys and lives all out for Jesus. And it is this kind of person, says James, a person with this kind of heart, whose prayers will be effective and powerful. Furthermore, if we wish our prayers to be powerful and effective, we must pray in the name of Jesus. Look at John chapter 14, verse 13. And Jesus says this, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So what does it mean to pray in his name? When I was young, I thought praying in Jesus' name was the way to end a prayer. You know, the way that Paul Harvey would end his radio commentary And that's the rest of the story. When I heard a person praying say, in Jesus' name, I knew the prayer was coming to an end. Well, praying in Jesus' name is more than a way to close a prayer. It means at least two things. When you pray in Jesus' name, you are aligning your prayers with who Jesus is and what matters to Jesus. Jesus. Let me ask you, how many of you know a a man named Bill? It's not a trick question, I just want to know. Okay, all right, yeah, good, most of you. Now, I'm sure that you all don't know the same Bill. So when I mentioned his name, each of you pictured the Bill that you know with his own unique personality, his character qualities, his passions, and so forth. Now, when you thought of Bill, some of you had a warm feeling wash over you. You went, oh, yeah, Bill. Haven't seen him in a long time. I get to give him a call. He's such a nice guy. And you had those warm feelings because the Bill, you know, is a kind and good-hearted and generous person. On the other hand, when I mentioned the name Bill, others of you grew cold inside, Because the bill you know reminds you of someone who is arrogant and rude and self-centered and untrustworthy. You see, in people's minds, your name triggers something. It triggers thoughts about who you are, about your character, your personality, what you believe, what your values are, what you're passionate about. And so when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are praying in line with who Jesus is, what he's passionate about, what matters to him. We're praying those things that Jesus would pray about if he were praying, things that really matter to him. But in addition to this, when you pray in Jesus' name, You are asking things of God, not on the basis of your own merit, but on the basis of Jesus' merit. Some time ago, I I read the story of a father who took his son and a dozen of his son's friends to an amusement park, sort of like our Callaway Park, to celebrate his son's birthday. He bought a big roll of tickets. And before every ride, he would give each boy a ticket for the ride. Well, on one particular ride, he looked up and there was a boy with his hand stretched out that he didn't recognize. And the father wondered what this was all about. And so, before giving him the ticket, he said, Young man, are you, are you part of our group? And the young guy said, No. And the father said, Well, then, why do you think I should give you a ticket? And the boy turned around and he pointed at this man's son. And he said, because your son said you'd give me one. (laughs) And so the father, on the merit of his son, gave this boy a ticket. In the same way, when I come to the father with a request, I'm aware that apart from my relationship with Jesus, I don't have any right to get any of the prayers I'm asking for to be answered. God doesn't owe me anything. You know, several years ago, a woman approached me after a service in tears, expressing her disappointment with God. And she talked about how she was trying to live a God-pleasing life and was serving God faithfully. And yet there was this one thing that she believed was in the will of God that she'd been bringing to God in prayer for years. And God had still not responded to her prayer. Have you ever felt that way? Sometimes, you see, we have an issue with God because we have sought to honor Him. We have sought to please Him, to live for Him. And we feel we deserve an answer to our prayers. We've earned it. And yet, you see, when we have that mindset, we're not praying in Jesus' name. We're praying in our name. And God won't hear our prayer when we approach Him that way, when we come to Him with this idea that He owes us a favor. Friends, God doesn't owe us anything. And when we pray in Jesus' name, we're acknowledging that. Now, let me be very clear that when we put our trust in Jesus, he invades our lives. And in the spiritual realm, we become one with him. He is in us, and we are in him. And even though in ourselves... We have no basis to come to God and to say, I've, you know, been pretty good and faithful, Lord, and therefore you owe me an answer to this prayer. We have no basis or right in that regard. Jesus is more than worthy to receive all that we're asking for and more. And because we are one with him, he's given us the right, he's given us the privilege to actually come to God, And to use his name for what we're asking for. But he's the one who has merit with the Father, not us. And so we pray, Father, I'm coming to you with my request, not on the merit or on the authority of my name, but on the merit and the authority of Jesus' name. So for our prayers to be effective, we must pray in Jesus' name. And again, it's not so much an issue of those words, but what those words represent as we've just talked about. Thirdly, for our prayers to be effective, we must pray according to the will of God. I encourage you to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5 and look down at verse 13 this is what we read there. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now let me hit pause here for a moment just to point out who the Apostle John is talking to. He is talking to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, those who are in right relationship with God as we talked about it a, moment, a moment ago. So let's, let's read on. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. Now that is a pretty remarkable promise, if you think about it. The Apostle John says we can know that God has heard our prayer and will grant us what we ask if we ask according to his will. Now, of course, immediately we think, well, that's all good and fine, but how do you know what God's will is in a given situation? Well, God reveals his will in one of two major ways. First and foremost, he reveals his will through the scriptures. But he will also reveal his will to us in a personal way. In the Greek language, the term word has two meanings logos and rhema. Logos is the word of God to everyone, rhema is the word of God to you personally. Everything in the Bible is the logos of God, or is God's word to everyone. The Bible has over 7,000 promises for us to claim. And folks, the scriptures and these promises have been given to us so that we will know the will of God. Which is why reading and studying and and hearing the scriptures taught like this today is so important because the more we know about the Bible, the more we're going to know what God's will is. And there are many promises in the Bible that are logos. In other words, they're God's word. They're God's will for everyone. Because they're stated that way. Now, some of them have conditions attached to them. So be careful to study the context, the meaning of the promise before you just up and apply it to your life. But most of the promises of Scripture are just straightforward promises that clearly articulate God's general will for all people. For example, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, we're given such a promise. And this is the testimony. Now, this is the passage we're looking at right now. I'm just backing up a little bit. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, not think so or hope so, but that you may know you have eternal life. Now this passage states that God's will is that all people will have eternal life. That is God's will. And this passage says if you have the Son of God in your life, in other words, if you've put your trust in Him, you have a growing friendship with Him, if you believe in His name and all that His name represents, then you can know you have eternal life. You can have absolute confidence that what you have asked for is in fact been granted to you. You are His child. In 1 John 1.9 gives us another promise. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is God's general will, his logos for everyone. He wants us to be free from our guilt and the chains of the regrets of the past. And so he says, if you will confess your sins to me, I will forgive you of your sins you can take that to the bank he will answer our prayers and do what he has promised another example in James chapter 1 verse 5 it says if any of you lacks wisdom you should ask God and it will be given to you God says you lack it in wisdom Well, come to me and ask and you will receive what you've asked for. Those are just some examples of God's logos, or general word and general will for us all. Which, of course, brings up another question. How do we know the will of God in situations not specifically addressed by the promises of God in the Scriptures? For example, let's say that I have a major decision to make about my future career how do i know what god's will is in such a case the answer to that is found in john 16 verse 13 it's also found in many other passages i'm just boiling it down to this one this is what it says but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth That passage tells us that it is the Holy Spirit who will take the Logos word and through it reveal God's will for you personally. He will give you a rhema, a personal word through the scriptures or directly through his whispers, his still small voice. For example, God came to Abraham's wife, Sarah, one day and said, Sarah, you're going to have a baby now normally that would not be an unusual announcement I mean there's all kinds of people who have children but in this case it was a bit unusual realizing that Sarah was 90 years old and her husband Abe was pushing 100 but you see it was a specific promise to her God was saying this is my will for you In promising this to Sarah, he wasn't saying to every other 90-year-old woman that they would now be able to have a baby. Not that they would want to have a baby at that age. No, it was a specific rhema word, a word of God to her and to no one else. I want to remind you that a rhema is a word of God to a specific person in a specific time for a specific purpose, a purpose that only God may know. You see, what so often happens today is someone has a rhema from God and then says, you know, if God did this for me, he will also do it for you. If you pray hard enough, if you have enough faith, Remember when Moses had an encounter with God through a burning bush? I don't remember hearing, reading in the, anywhere else in the scriptures or in history that anybody else had a similar experience. It was kind of a one-time thing. Henry Blackaby says, if that happened today, Moses would write a bestseller. And we would set up a shrine And people would come from all over the world asking God to do it again. Now, God can do it again. I mean, he can do anything. But, see, my point is, be careful about claiming for yourself a rhema that was given to someone else. At a specific time, for a specific purpose. And assuming that you can now apply that to yourself. So how does the Holy Spirit speak to us personally? You know, it may sound a bit mystical, but it happens more than we realize if we're open to hearing from God. We talked about this a bit when we were dealing the series on the Holy Spirit. But for example, have you ever been reading the Bible and suddenly a verse just kind of jumps off the page and hits you right between the eyes? And you know that that verse was speaking to you directly about something that's going on in your life and that you needed to do something about it? Well, you see, that happened because the Holy Spirit gave you a rhema, a specific word regarding God's will for your life. There's something he wanted you to change or maybe there's just a word, a promise, an encouragement he wanted to give you. Or have you ever been in a church service and all of a sudden something the pastor says hits you? Or you feel like he's speaking just to you and your situation. People often tell me that it seems like, you know, I'm just speaking to them. Which kind of blows me away because I can't take any credit for that. I mean, that's totally a God thing. You see, those of us who speak, we simply get up here and we deliver the locust word of God. And if you're at all awake and attentive, the Holy Spirit takes it and gives you a rhema word, applying it directly to your life. And I'm amazed how that happens because, you know, I have applications in sermons. And I talk to people all the time and their takeaway is totally over here somewhere. I wasn't even thinking of that. But see, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a young man in our church. He's actually part of our missional community who grew up in a Hindu family. But over time, he felt something drawing him to Christ and to the church. The first time he came to our church, the sermon addressed the subject that he'd been wrestling with for some time. He thought that it was a great coincidence And he decided to come back the following week. And when he came to the second week, the sermon spoke directly to another issue that he'd been battling with and thinking about that previous week. Well, when the same thing happened on week three and on week four, God began to get his attention. He was meeting with one of our pastors by then, asking him all kinds of questions about Christianity. And after several more weeks of the sermon speaking directly to the issue that he was grappling with the previous week. He became convinced that the pastor he was talking to was meeting with the pastor who was speaking and telling him what to preach on. (laughs) Which of course was not the case. A couple of times he actually wrote down the issue that he was thinking about, gave it to the pastor and sure enough the message that weekend spoke to the issue And he says in his testimony, this went on for three months. Now, I had no clue that this was going on, of course. I just heard this young man's testimony a couple of months ago. But through it all, God drew this young man to himself. And he is a follower of Jesus today. Amen? God is speaking to people today. Are you listening? That is the big question. He reveals his will to us through the general Logos word. He reveals his will to us through the Rhema word, a specific word to us as well. And Dr. Torrey, a former pastor of Moody Bible Bible Church, he tells the story of a couple in his church whose young daughter became deathly ill. The doctors told them that there was nothing that they could do for her. And so the couple called upon him to pray. Unfortunately, he was out of town, and so a couple of his associates went over and prayed for her. His associate, Pastor Jacoby, later told Tori that as he prayed silently for God's will and direction on how to pray for this child, he had a strong sense from the Holy Spirit, a rhema word that it was clearly God's will for this child to be healed. And so having the assurance that it was God's will to heal her, he prayed with a new level of confidence and faith, believing that she would be healed. He said, Pastor Tory, if ever I had an answer to prayer in my life, it was today when I prayed for that child. And sure enough, That child was miraculously healed. The doctors the next morning were stunned uh, by the child's recovery. Now, Pastor Torrey goes on to write, Now, neither Pastor Jacoby or myself could pray for every child or every adult in the same way. For even though it is God's general will that we would be well in body, for reasons we don't understand, it is not always his will to heal every sick person. But he says there are many other times that he does heal the sick. And if we are living in the Lord, if we are listening to his voice in our prayers and are entirely surrendered to his spirit in our prayer time, the Holy Spirit will reveal to us God's will on the matter. And we can pray the prayer of faith knowing that our prayer has been heard and that God will do what he has promised he will do. Friends, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to reveal his of word far more, far more than we're hearing and seeking I believe he wants to reveal his rhema word far more so that we can pray with confidence and see miracles happen. I believe that the Lord wants to do so much more to impact the lives of people who don't know him. I believe he wants to do so much more to heal bodies, so much more in restoring marriages than what we're seeing today. But it's gonna require that we have this friendship with him, that we're walking in the spirit, that we're asking him daily to reveal his will to us and listening for his direction and his rhema. I have been so blessed when God has given me a rhema word down through the years. My faith has grown because he's shown me something that is his will, and I've prayed into that and see it happen. And folks, he wants that for you. He wants that for all of us. That's the kind of relationship he wants to have with us. I recall a time I was praying for someone who was facing surgery in the prospect of a serious illness. And as I was praying for this individual, I was overwhelmed with a sense that this person would not be afflicted with this disease. And I continued to pray with a new level of confidence and faith, believing that this person would be okay, and I mentioned that to my wife and, and to my assistant. And when this person called me after receiving the pathology report, informing me that there was no disease in his body, I celebrated with them but I wasn't really surprised because in this instance God had revealed his will through a rhema word my faith grew took another step that day and so the key to knowing God's will is to know his Logos word the Bible and in those instances where we aren't clear what God's will is to ask him to reveal his rhema word to us And then, fourthly, we must pray in faith. So what is faith? Well, faith is not a positive mental attitude. Faith is not a belief in a force or in a formula. Faith is not psyching yourself up with wishful thinking. Faith is not believing I can accomplish anything if I put my mind to it. Faith is not believing that if I believe hard enough, the way that some television preachers would have us believe, well, then it'll become a reality. True faith is not faith in our words. It is not faith in ourselves. It is not faith in faith. True faith is in God. The focus isn't on the faith, but on the object of our faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We can't please the Lord without exercising faith. And one of the key ways we do that is through prayer. So what does it mean to pray in faith, to pray the prayer of faith? Well, to pray in faith means that you recognize your own helplessness and are totally dependent upon the Lord. To pray in faith means you see God as totally aware, as deeply concerned and actively involved in your situation or the situation you're praying about. To pray in faith means that your focus is on God and His promises and His faithfulness and not on your circumstances. To pray in faith means that you pray with the confident expectation of getting the very thing that you are asking. Now you say, Hold it, Pastor. Everything was good until you just said this last point. Isn't it presumptuous to pray that way? Isn't it delusional to pray with total confidence that God will give you what you ask? These questions bring us back to the issue that we just talked about with respect to the will of God. For you see, there's one more important point with respect to praying in faith. And here it is. To pray in faith means to be so convinced you are praying according to God's will that you will have a passionate confidence and determination to keep praying until God's answer arrives. You see, the key to being able to pray the prayer of faith is in knowing that what you are praying for is in fact the will of God. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. I'm going to read it again. This is the confidence. This is the confidence. This is the basis of our faith, okay? This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Notice the Apostle John here links our confidence, our faith in praying with knowing what God's will is. We must have faith when we pray, but our faith, our confidence is linked to knowing what the will of the Lord is. And so, if we want our prayers to be powerful and effective, we need to do three things. First of all, we need to seek God's will regarding the situation that we're praying for. That's the first thing. We need to be listening. We need to be looking at the scriptures and all that stuff, first of all. And then second, once we know God's will, we pray confidently for God's will to be accomplished. And then thirdly, we anticipate that God will do what he promised what he said he'd do and so if we're praying for a particular person let's say or for a particular situation the first and most important step is to get clarity on what God's will is regarding the situation we're praying about we need to search the scriptures I mean I've read of people and I've talked to people who sometimes search the scriptures for weeks even longer than that to get a a clear rhema from God about how to pray for a certain situation If God reveals to us what His will is, either through the scriptures, just a plain promise that's there, or He reveals it through a rhema, then you see, we don't need to pray in that case if it be your will. Because we already know what His will is. And though we should always pray with a humble and a submissive spirit, we can pray confidently that God will hear our prayers and will accomplish his will in the situation that we're praying for. On the other hand, if for whatever reason we are unclear or uncertain as to what God's will actually is, then it is not a cop-out, it is not a lack of faith as some believe, to pray something like, Lord, our faith is in you. We are uncertain what your perfect will is in this situation. And so, if your will is different from what we're asking for in this prayer, we know that your answer will be much better. And that is truly what we want you to do in response to our prayer. Now, make no mistake. It may be a cop-out. It may be a lack of faith if we just pray the prayer without first seeking God's heart and God's will on the matter that we're praying for. But if we have earnestly sought to discern God's will on a certain situation and we have, for whatever reason, not received a rhema word from the Lord, then it is not a lack of faith to acknowledge it in our prayer and to ask the Lord either to reveal His will to us or to accomplish His perfect will in the life of this person or in this situation. So with all that in mind, here's just two things that I kind of want to wrap up with that I believe is what the Bible teaches the prayer of faith is. Just two statements. Number one, if I know what God's will is, then the prayer of faith is believing God will do what he told me he would do. Number two, if I am uncertain what God's will is, then the prayer of faith is believing God will do what is best in response to my prayer. Romans 8.28 assures us that our Heavenly Father always wants what's best for His children. He has our best interest at heart in all things, whether it seems that He does in the present moment or not. And therefore, says Tim Keller, God will either give us what we ask or he will give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that he knows. The important thing in all of this, friends, is that we pray. That we pray without ceasing through our day and that we persevere in prayer for our prayers do make a difference. I'll close with this. Tim Keller says there were three big things that happened in his life, the life of his family, that really moved them to see the necessity, the importance of prayer. The first was the tragedy of 9-11. As you know, he lives in New York, had a huge impact on his congregation and on the people of New York. The second was his wife coming down with a serious chronic health condition. And the third was him being diagnosed with cancer. At one point during all of this, his wife urged him to do something that they'd never been able to muster the discipline to do up to that point in their marriage. She asked him to pray with her every night. He says she used an illustration to help us understand its importance. This is the illustration she used. She said, imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you you would die within hours unless you took a particular pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? Well, she said, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it. At least I'm not going to make it, given what we're facing. We have to pray, we just can't let it slip our minds. And Keller says at that moment, we both realized something that we'd always believed. And that is not only is prayer important, but prayer is non-negotiable. And since that day, they haven't missed a single evening of praying together, though sometimes they've prayed by phone when physically apart. You know, church, so far in this series on prayer, I've tried to help us understand that, that even though we may not always see the impact of our praying, our prayers really matter. One day we will realize how significantly different our lives were because we prayed. And I also believe we're going to get a glimpse of all the blessings and all of the amazing faith adventures we missed because... We didn't pray. God wants to work in and through your life. He wants to respond to the issues and concerns that are on your heart right now. He still wants to do miracles today. He wants to restore and revitalize marriages, families, friendships. He wants to transform our city our country, our world. He wants a little bit of heaven to come to earth as it is in heaven. And yes, there will be times that we apply these principles we've been talking about and things won't go the way they thought they should. There will be times we'll be praying and pleading with God to reveal his specific will, his rhema for a given situation and we will not receive it or at least not as clearly as we'd like it to be. But friends, we know God has called us to pray. We know that prayer changes things and that prayer, if nothing else, changes us. And so even if you are confused about all that's involved with prayer, if you're confused about what God is up to, just pray anyways. Even if you feel unworthy to pray, just pray anyways. Even if you're feeling inadequate to pray, Just pray anyways, because God will teach you. He will grow you in your prayer life as you pray. Even when your mind is plagued with doubt. And you wonder if you have enough faith to even pray. Just exercise enough faith to actually pray. Because God will reveal his will to you. He will give you more faith. Even if nothing seems to be happening or things appear to be getting worse, just pray anyways because God sees things that you don't see. He knows things that you don't know. He is working behind the scenes in ways that you're not even aware of. So just pray anyways. You know, church, the, the Lord is looking all over the earth for hearts that are totally devoted to Him so that He can reveal His reality and His power to them. May we be one of those people. May we be one of those churches who just pray as we breathe, who pray without ceasing, That God's kingdom, that his will would come to earth as it is in heaven. To the glory of God and for the sake of a world that so desperately needs the Jesus that we know and love. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? going to invite you to. Just hold your hands open before the Lord again. And just ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me, Lord? And then respond back to him in whatever way you feel you need to. Let's do that right now. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to not just be hearers of the word, but Lord, that we would be doers. I pray, Lord, that we would not see prayer as something we have to do, that guilt would not be our motivating driving force behind our prayers, but Lord, we would see prayer as a privilege. The awesome privilege of being in daily conversation with you, just inviting you into our lives and just being led by you, encouraged by you, drawing wisdom from you. Oh God, help us to see this friendship that you so much long to have with us and how much you want to enrich our faith. Thank you for not just creating us and leaving us, but Lord, just wanting to be involved with us. What a privilege. We just commit ourselves anew to you today and to a life of prayer. For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.